0: In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the files It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And this week, the prolific, multiple, award-winning, New York Times bestselling author, Catherine M. Valenti, took a break at her spooky writer's island to chat with me about her superhero origin story, earning street cred with readers, and her truly unique process. And since her fortuitous first novel, The Labyrinth, published in 2004, The hybrid author has gone on to pen over 24 volumes of both fiction and poetry across multiple genres, including fantasy, sci-fi, young adult, and horror. In addition to being published and anthologized in dozens of print and online journals, Catherine has won or been nominated for every major award in her field, including the Hugo Award for both a novel and a podcast, and been a finalist for both the Nebula and the World Fantasy Awards. She is perhaps best known for her crowdfunded phenomenon, The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making, a book launched by a dedicated online fan community that went on to become a New York Times bestseller. The series, which recently concluded with a fifth book, has been lauded by fellow author Neil Gaiman and Time Magazine called it one of the most extraordinary works of fantasy for adults or children published so far this century. The prolific author continues to find innovative ways to connect with her audience, and she recently launched a Patreon project called the Mad Fiction Laboratory, where she offers professional and personalized advice on the business and craft of writing, as well as a sneak peek into her multiple works in progress. In part one of this file, Kat and I discuss how to write a novel in three to ten days, the story behind her four-month circus book tour, and the birth of a viral bestseller, her love of performance, previews of her three wildly different upcoming projects, and the umbrella cover museum that doubles as her office. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new StudioPress Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash StudioPress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash StudioPress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And we are rolling once again on this show with a special guest. And uh Catherine M. Valenti is here today, multiple award-winning, prolific New York Times, bestselling author of over a dozen works of fiction and poetry. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a lot in the hopper uh to chat with listeners about your about your fantastic work and your process as a writer. It's really exciting to talk to you today.
1: No problem. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm extremely um, inspired by kind of your story as a writer. I know you've done a lot of stuff, and I want to kind of chat about, I guess maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with you and your, your fantastic journey to where you are today, can you kind of give us a little bit of your just your origins as a writer and, and kind of how you got your start? I know you've done a ton, a ton of stuff.
1: Yeah, my, my very minor superhero origin story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, my first novel came out when I was 25, uh, so uh, uh, 12 years ago, um, and it was called The Labyrinth. It came out with Prime Books, which is a, a small press, independent press. Um, I had really only just graduated from college um, a couple of years before, and uh, I had heard about Nano Remo, which was just, or Nano Rimo, I always say Nano Remo, I know it's wrong, <laughs> but uh, it had just started. It was only in its second year, and I had just graduated, and I was working as a professional fortune teller in Rhode Island. Um, wow. In a, in, a, in a genuine tall Gothic tower. It was the, called the oh. Old Armory in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, and I hadn't really been writing a lot while I was in college because I was in such a academically rigorous program. Uh, and that I just I had sort of fallen away from it and um, most of what I had done up until that writing that first novel was poetry and by most I mean all uh, except for one short story I was required to write for class I had done poetry just my whole life Um, but I wanted to see if I could write a novel I didn't know if I could but I thought what what do I have to lose I'll give it a shot it was October instead of November and I didn't want to wait and I was 22 so I was full of piss and vinegar and didn't know I couldn't do things yet. So I said, 30 days is for wimps. I'm going to do it in 10. And I did, uh, which seems fully insane to me now. Uh, but I, 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 between tarot readings, I would pull up my laptop, my little tiny laptop and, uh, and work on this book. Uh, and of course I really, I hadn't even thought about publishing it. I just wanted to see if it was something I could do. And, uh, I submitted it to a few independent publishers. I knew it was too weird for a, you know, a big New York publisher and didn't really get any. I got a lot of rejection saying this is uh, the most beautiful thing we've ever read and we're definitely not publishing it. So at 22, I didn't really know what to do with that. So I gave up for a while and just put it away. Um, and then I, I was living in Japan. My my then husband uh, ex-husband was a naval officer and I started a live journal. And one of the people that I got to know on Live Journal was uh, Nick Mamatas, and he had just published his first book. So I left a comment on his live journal asking uh, who I should be submitting to, not like asking him to look at my work or anything, just, just like who's out there that likes to publish weird stuff. He gave me a list and I said, yeah, they've all rejected me, uh, except for Prime Books and they're not open to submissions. And he said, no, they are, they just don't wanna read slush. So send <laughs> me your book and if I like it, I'll send it on. And I did and he did. And uh, I actually got an email from Jeff Vandermeer uh, saying, they're going to publish your book. I want to write the introduction. So when they email you to tell you that they're going to publish your book, uh, tell them you want me to write the introduction. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so that was sort of how that first book happened. It was all very much kind of out of the blue. Um, and I, my second book, which I also published with Prime Books, was for the Blue Lake three-day novel competition in which you're supposed to write a novel in three days, which is really a misnomer because it's supposed to be 30,000 words, which is not a novel by anybody's definition. <laughs> uh, and the, the prize for that contest is a publishing contract. I did not win that prize, but um, Prime published that second book. And then I gave them a manuscript. And in an act of great magnanimousness, uh, my editor said, this is much more commercial than anything else you're you're writing, and I'm going to send it to my friend uh, at Bantam, Bantam Spectra, uh, and that was the manuscript that became the Orphans' Tales. Bantam Spectra took a year and a half to get back to me, uh, and they said we really like it, but we want to see the second book in the series, which should be fine because your editor says it's almost done. I had not begun this book. <laughs> I I don't know where my editor got that idea. So my last four months in Japan, that I was preparing a trans-Pacific move, was me just trying so hard to finish this book. And uh-huh. uh, just about like setting foot back in America, uh, I got an offer from Bantam and that was my first sort of big New York book. Wow! And so, yeah, that's sort of how it all got started back yeah. in the early 2000s.
0: Jeez, and that's not even that long ago, but- um... No,
1: I mean, <laughs> it, is it, it is and it isn't. It, it feels like a lot longer ago sure. than it is, but it, it, and it doesn't in a very strange way. Time yeah. is, Time is weird once you get older.
0: <laughs> sure. It does have a hyperbolic effect at times uh, when you think of it like that. But earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugar's podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, And also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com/slash/TheWriterFiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. You know, uh, you've been, you've won or been nominated for every major award in your field, which means you've written across these different genres, primarily fairland novels and and which you're uh, very well known for. You've got this. uh you know, all these other fantastic speculative pieces and, and you've published in multiple, you know, kind of award-winning publications. So, I mean, it, you've just done so much. So the, the pr- prolific nature of it is that you're just, wor- it seems like you're working all the time. Um, writing all the time, but that may be just my impression, <laughs> looking at your kind of resume and all the stuff that you've done. But anyway, um, the crowdfunded phenomenon, the girl who circumnavigated Fairland uh, in a ship of uh, her own making, is fascinating to me because it, it started on Live Journal. You mentioned Live Journal and mm-hmm. it, you kind of, uh, and then crowdfunded it and and yeah. it became this uh, New York Times bestselling book that then Neil uh, Gaiman uh, blurbed. And, and yeah. uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, just. Yeah.
1: So I had been going on with Bantam Spectra for um, another book after The Orphan's Tales. And unfortunately, six weeks before that book was supposed to come out, um, the, it's called black wednesday in publishing uh the 2008 crash had happened and half of publishing in new york was laid off
2: yeah so
1: my editor called me and said she'd been laid off and uh it actually turned out that bantam spectra was ceased to exist that day it was reorganized back into random house and so there was nobody there to pick up the phones uh and we knew because you kind of get three strikes in new york like you have three books that fail. You're going to have a real hard time breaking in again. Mm-hmm. And the Orphan Sales hadn't failed. Um, it won a lot of awards and was very critically acclaimed, but like it hadn't had stellar sales. So we uh, had this very strong feeling that if Palimpsest, which was the next book, um, failed, like that was it. So I and my partner and uh, a dear, dear friend of mine named S.J. Tucker, who's a singer-songwriter, decided to make it as much of a success as we could with knowing that there was one person, uh, sitting at a secretarial desk at my publishers and, uh, (laughs) and there was just, there's just nobody to do the work. Like we got a blurb from Warren Ellis and there was nobody in the office to tell them to put that on the cover (laughs) of the book. Like that's what happened
2: to publishing
1: uh, during this time and nobody could sell a book. Uh, unless you were already this massive bestseller, like, there was no way you could sell a book at the end of 2008, beginning of
2: 2009.
1: Yeah. So we toured uh, from Maine to Los Angeles for four months selling this book out of the back of SJ's tour van. Um, we had all these reading concerts or SJ did an album based on Palimpsest and she would sing and I would read. We picked up performers everywhere. It was the circus. <laughs> and everywhere we went, people kept asking me about this one part of Palimpsest because the main character... In that book, uh, her favorite novel from when she was a little girl was The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. It was not real. It was just meant to be a little character piece uh, in Palimpsest, which is a very adult book, by the way. (laughs) It's like (laughs) adult with a capital A and three X's. Um, And the the first paragraph from from Fairyland is, is in Palimpsest and nothing else. But as part of you know, trying to do everything we could for this book, we made an alternate reality game. And one of the sort of Easter eggs was an Amazon order page for Fairyland. They're <laughs> a, a cover that I had mocked up out of an Arthur Rackham drawing and everything. Uh, and so people were like, they're all out of stock on Amazon. Like, where's the <laughs> copy of this? I'm like, well, you'll notice the URL still says and Uh This is just something we postmodern kids do from time to time. Yeah. Uh, but people just kept asking where they could get it. And when I got home, uh, my my partner had been laid off from two jobs within, or got laid off from two jobs within six weeks of each other, Uh, and we had we had just moved to Maine, uh, not even you know six months before, and didn't really have the money to move again uh, to to a better job, and so I was like, all right, well I'm gonna do a serialized novel then on my website, uh, and I'll just put up a little donation button. And hopefully we can pay our rent and get some groceries this month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went through sort of my notes files looking for something that I, didn't, that I didn't think I would lose anything if I published it myself. Because back then, you know, Kickstarter hadn't started up yet. Or if it had, it had just started. Kindle was only just beginning to be a thing. Like there's very much a feeling that if you self-publish something, like you were giving up the possibility of a big publisher. Uh, so I thought, well, nobody would ever publish a children's book that was so connected to an adult book with a capital A and three X's. So I'm not losing anything. If I do fairyland and everybody wants to read fairyland, I've been hearing about it for months now. Um, so I did every Monday I posted a chapter of fairyland and I recorded myself reading it, which actually turned out to be, I, I did it because I love to read out loud and I'm good at it. I was an actress most of my life, but it turns out that I I have, um, a lot of, vision impaired readers who like for the first time could take part in this viral thing because uh, they could listen to it. And uh, I had a little donation button that said, give whatever you think the book is worth. If you don't think it's worth anything, don't worry about it. If you don't have any money, don't worry about it. Just enjoy it. Um, And it went viral within 24 hours and Boing Boing was doing pieces on it and io9 and Neil Gaiman linked to it. and, And it just, it became this huge thing that saved us, you know, in a, in uh, a very, very real and tangible way. Um, I, uh, I remember being at a convention right after it really hit, and uh, somebody in the audience asked, well, you realize you can't go back and change anything because you've already posted it online? <laughs> and I said, oh, sh-. like it had never occurred <laughs> to me uh, that that was going to be a problem um and i mean i kept a couple weeks ahead of the posting schedule but but like again much like writing the labyrinth in 10 days instead of 30 like i just ran ahead with something without knowing that i couldn't do it and it worked out incredibly well it won this web fiction of the decade award yeah. up against girl genius and dr horrible and xkcd all these things which are far more well known than me even in the the organization that runs that, even in their roundup, they're like, "We don't understand what happened. Uh, we don't know <laughs> what this is, but uh, but wow. apparently you do." And it it um, won the Andre Norton Award long before it, a year before it ever came out in print, mm-hmm. which is like kind of it's a, it's administered with the Nebula Awards uh, for YA. Mm-hmm. And uh, before it finished posting online, my agent uh, found a, an amazing publisher for it, Will and Friends. Uh, and it debuted at number eight on the New York Times list. And Jeez. and like uh, I mean, I, it's genuine magic. I still don't really have, people ask me all the time how to do what I did. And the answer is, I don't even know if I could do what I did again. <laughs> it was just a perfect storm of people feeling helpless and wanting to help, of um, me having a lot of cred from having published traditionally for so long, and a lot of mm. adult readers who had never been able to share my work with their kids. Uh, like and and the hopefully the quality of the work and just who who picked it up and ran with it like it was just a lot of things had to come together to make it happen and uh, and it was incredible.
0: Wow, wow, uh, it's truly an inspiring story uh, to say the least. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've got this this fan community that that is uh, dedicated, you know, a large online following um, in addition to, um, kind of everything you have out in the world. So, uh, is the best place to find all of your kind of works at your website then? Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. CatherineMValenti.com. Uh, Catherine spelled funny. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, a great spelling. Um,
0: thank
1: you. And, uh, and I'm very active on Twitter at CatValenti. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll and, uh, link to
0: that. I'll link to both. And of course, um, you've got a, re- an, a, a more recent uh, development that's not t- technically uh, publishing, but it is a Patreon. Um, yeah. Uh, project that you just started up. It sounds like the Mad Fiction Laboratory, which um, you're offering uh, advice on the craft and business of writing there, which is really cool to see. So I'll link to that as well. Did you want to say anything about that?
1: Um, Yeah. Um, So we've just started it. So this is like the third day that it's existed. Um, And basically it's every month I will be uh, to, for, for, subscri- for subscribers, patrons, I'll be putting out um, an essay, as you say, about the craft and business of writing, but a funny one that makes <laughs> it entertaining. Uh, imp- important to note, because a lot of those things are just so dry. And, uh, and I, I mean, I remember when I was first starting out just reading endless, endless articles about like how to write a hit book and how to get an agent and how to, you know, write a good sentence. And most of them, like the best you could hope for is if it was written in a very serious, inspirational tone. Um, And (laughs) I would often feel exhausted after reading it, (laughs) like, wow, I really want to be a writer, but oh, man, I just feel so much pressure from even the inspirational stuff just made me feel like I was failing at being what that person wanted me to be. So I want to
2: write
1: these essays that are very funny and lighthearted, but still give that kind of information and uh, a little more um, motivational oomph, but also, (laughs) um, uh, patrons will be able to, uh, get excerpts of whatever I'm working on that month. So for example, I just released on the feed today, um, the first chapter of a book i'm working on that's so secret I, it hasn't even been announced yet and i can't even tell you the title the patrons know the title now and they can see their first chapter but
2: oh, that's um, cool.
1: like we haven't even we haven't even told anyone it exists yet so there's a lot of really exclusive material yeah um, will, will be available through the patreon as well as as teaching people what i have learned after 13 years in the industry so it's a little bit of me it's a little bit of everyone else and hopefully we can make uh, mad science together
0: yeah yeah i'm kind of imagining it being like the opposite of the james patterson uh teaches <laughs> writing master class where he looks so serious and like you know these these close-ups of his you know, forehead and
1: yeah no i, I have bangs so you don't see <laughs> that.
0: Okay. But, uh,
2: this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg
1: uh, making it as fun as possible is the way to get things done. So if you feel the yeah. great pressure of creating literature for the ages and then running a small business, which is what writing is, like it's yeah. really hard to come home from work at the end of the day and start up that mountain.
0: For sure, for sure. Well, that's great. Um, we will definitely link to that um, and point listeners at that one. So you hinted at uh, some secret stuff coming up, but but I understand that you have... Uh, three books coming out this year.
1: I do. They could not be more different either. (laughs) Um, So in June, June 7th, the Refrigerator Monologues is coming out, which is, uh, I like to describe it as the vagina monologues for superheroes girlfriends. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So it basically uh, takes these tropes of uh, the girl in Refrigerator, which was coined by um, Gail Simone to describe all of these women in, in superhero comics who are Murdered and maimed and raped and driven crazy and lose their powers in order to further the plotline of the male hero rather than that being important because it happened to them. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't have the rights to, you know, Gwen Stacy or uh, Harley Quinn or, um, you know, any of the characters that uh, have ha- that had this happen to them in comics, I had to just go ahead and create a completely cohesive uh, superhero cinematic universe of my own Mm -hmm. Um, no problem (laughs) uh, so if you are a big comic book fan you will have a thousand easter eggs in this book and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and if you're not they all stand alone Um, there's a beautiful comic for each section done by Annie Wu uh, who's an amazing uh, comic artist and I'm so so excited about it it's (laughs) so different than anything else I've ever done I think I dropped more f-bombs than I ever have in a book before Uh, so I really hope people like that I also have um, Mass Effect Annihilation coming out. um, I've done a Mass Effect tie-in book for the new game Andromeda uh, that's coming out in March. book's not coming out in March, book's coming out later in the year. Um, And uh, the Glass Town game is coming out September 5th, which is my next middle grade book. Uh, And that one I describe as the Bronte children go to Narnia. Um, Charlotte Charlotte Bronte and Emily Bronte and Anne Bronte and their brother Branwell, um, when they were little kids, before they became these famous writers when they when they were little kids they were just like any other geeky kids that you know now and they made this fantasy world that they kind of larped rpged uh they they <laughs> created this world that's built out of a child's understanding of, of British politics and the Napoleonic Wars and Yorkshire fairy tales and all of this crazy stuff. And they they wrote like in-world magazines that were published by their characters. It's incredible. There's it, We still have a great deal of it. Um, and there's just so, so much there. So the idea of the Glasstown game, um, Glasstown is the name of this world, is that they, they actually went there, that it's a real place that they actually visited as children. So oh, wow. uh, that'll be coming out in September.
0: I love that. So you haven't been very busy.
1: No, not at all. I'm <laughs> sitting back and eating chips. <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, I'm sure that listeners are um, uh, eager to hear about kind of your your day to day productivity. Um, so, how much time per day are you kind of getting ready to get into the mode or kind of researching stuff before you start to write?
1: So it really depends on whether I'm on deadline or not. Um, I'm on a pretty tight deadline right now, so. Uh, I, I will say it does take me quite a while to sort of get into the space. I live on a spooky Island in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. Um, so I have my house, but my house is filled with animals and a partner and a million distractions. So uh, there's this place I'm pointing. You can't see cause it's, a podcast that I'm pointing towards it <laughs> out my window. But uh, down by uh, the waterfront on the island is this little tiny building, which for, during the summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day is an umbrella cover museum or the umbrella cover museum. It's a museum for the little sacks that your umbrellas come in uh, that you lose immediately. They all end up here in Maine. Um, but <laughs> she doesn't live here. She just lives here during the summer. So for the rest of the year, it's my office. Uh, so I go down there and usually I go down to my office and I spend at least an hour making myself coffee, uh, yeah. poking around in my notes, posting to Twitter uh, and then I sort of ease into into work. so it usually takes me you know an hour or so to get into the right space um, For sure. on a de- on a deadline, I'll be down there every day
2: okay.
1: uh, but but when I'm not when I don't have a severe deadline, it's pretty important for me in my creative process to have fallow periods where I'm not pumping out word counts every day. So I need to be reading. I need to be reading other people's books. I need to be watching, you know, new shows and movies and things like that. I also I never know how that kind of stuff is going to feed in Uh, that super secret project I was talking about. I ended up like binge watching a bunch of British comedy panel shows and it actually ended up helping me get into the right voice for this project in a huge way without ever meaning to. I just really like British panel comedy shows. Um, And all that stuff is really important. So I don't take the dictum of you must write every day completely seriously, like for a creative mind, especially if you're somebody who works on a lot of projects at once like I do. I think that the time that you're not working can be as valuable as far as getting the juices flowing as the time that you are working.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, that creative process obviously involves those important steps of, you know, putting information out, uh, pr- putting information in, excuse me, that p- the preparation and incubation phase, and then you kind of have the illumination and you sit down and you, uh, you spit it out.
1: <laughs> you are what you eat.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy The Writer Files, please subscribe to the show. And leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Calton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.